0: We're going to be in Jeremiah 29. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and uh, turn there with me. We're in a series right now, the third part of a four-week series entitled Twisted, where we're looking at uh, passages of Scripture that are well-known and often quoted, but uh, that have frequently been twisted by many people to try and mean something that they really didn't mean, where we try and use them for our own ends. And we're just trying to go back and discover the truth of the scriptures. And today we're going to look at a very, very familiar text. I just have a feeling that if we had passed out cards today and if I said, everybody just write down the reference to your favorite verse of the Bible. I wouldn't be surprised if the verse that we'll look at today wouldn't be the number one verse that we would get in return as far as people's favorite verses. Jeremiah 29, 11 is what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, I want to begin by just sharing a story with you. I think I may have shared, shared this once before, but because of how it's tied to this verse, I, I will share it again. Um, several years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I was preaching at church on the eastern shore and I was in a series that was uh, comparing Christianity to other world religions, and on this particular Sunday, I had really focused in on how Christianity and Islam stack up side by side, and let's just suffice it to say, Islam didn't fare all that well in that sermon. It was not a good day to have been a Muslim in our service. I wasn't trying to bash anybody, but I mean, when you just really get down to it, there's a lot that's wrong with Islam, and I've been real direct in pointing that out, and as soon as one of the services was over, and I'm caught in the kind of the rush of the crowd between Queen's services, a member came and grabbed me and said, hey, I've got a a friend that's here for the first time that I want to introduce you to. He's a Muslim from Turkey and I want him to be able to speak to you. And I'm thinking, oh man, of all the Sundays that you could bring your friend, you know, he's probably not. Right now, and uh, anyway, we, we spoke, and uh, he introduced himself. His name was Mehmet, and um, he said, "I was very intrigued by what you said. I'd love to talk to you more about that." I said, "Well, I'd love to talk with you more about it too." And so we agreed to meet that week, and we did. And um, he was indeed a practicing Muslim. Came from a you know long line of uh, long heritage of people within Islam, and he, but he was curious about Christianity and so we had a long conversation in my office that week and uh, I invited him to explore Christianity with me and so uh, together we began to read through each day a chapter of, of John and then get together once a week to talk about what we had read for that week and I just ask him every day to just do a real simple thing, to just pray a real simple prayer, God I, I want to know you, would you reveal yourself to me, I want to know the one true God and so would you help me to know who you are. And so we did that for, I don't know, two or three weeks. I guess it was maybe three weeks later when he came to my office. Something was really different in, in his eyes. Something had happened. And I said, you know, what what's going on? And he said, S- something really strange has happened and I need you to help me understand it. And he pulls out his wallet and he pulls out a strip of paper about this big. And he, he opens it up and he shows it to me and says, do you know what this is? And it has written on it the words of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And it had the scripture reference. And I said, well, yeah, that's a wonderful verse from the Old Testament. I, I know that verse. Well, I need for you to explain then. I said, well, tell me what you mean. And he said, well, I live with several roommates. We all work together. Uh, at the grand hotel and they're all from germany and none of them have anything to do with christianity or church they have no interest in those things and I, I just don't understand i came home from work and this piece of paper is sitting out on the kitchen counter and none of my roommates put it there i need to understand why is this on my counter and he said well something more happened than that there's more to the story he said i read it and i didn't understand and so i put it in the trash And then I came back the next day, and it's not in the trash. It is now in my bedroom. And my roommates didn't put it there. And I don't understand. Can you please explain? And I'm like, well, may I, may you remember the prayer you've been praying every day. God, would you help me to know who you are? I want to know the one true God. Would you help me to know you? And he's going, do you think this could be God speaking? And I'm going, yes, sir. You can pretty well count on that. God is speaking. And so um, he didn't get saved that day. We just had a good conversation. And he, he went back home. And he went back to praying and, and reading that week. And when he came to see me the next week. You could see it when he walked in the door before he could even tell me. Something had happened that had changed his life. The Lord uh, had shown up in his life in a significant way that week. And I'll wait till the end of the message to kind of tell you the rest of the story. But Jeremiah 29.11 was a real turning point for Mehmet as God revealed himself, communicating an important word to him. Now, it's it's such a... a warm and affirming and encouraging word isn't it i know the plans i have for you plans to prosper you not to harm you to bring you hope and a future everybody wants to sign up for that don't they i mean everybody wants to receive that word but you you may be a little surprised to find out that this verse doesn't mean exactly what we want it to mean or can't be just freely thrown around and used the way that we want to use it. Now, I I know we want to just hold on to it the way that it is, and I don't want you to be discouraged because I think when we're done today that this passage is going to mean more to you than it ever has before. I'm pretty sure you're never going to look at it the same after we're done looking at it today, but I think for some who maybe can't begin to identify with this passage the way that we've thrown it around that you're going to walk away today realizing why this is such a precious passage and why before maybe it didn't connect with your heart, but it, it needs to as we look a little more closely at this. Now, if you've been with us for the, uh, the past two weeks, you know we've been following a very simple pattern in trying to understand verses of the Bible. There are three things that we always want to do. Some of you can say it with me together now. The first thing we want to look at is what? What? Context, 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 who's talking, who are they talking to, what's the theme that's going on here, what got said before this and after this, we've got to read it in context, we are not going to be a people who build single verse theologies, that's how you get off basis, when you listen to people who want to build a whole theology around one verse of the Bible it doesn't work that way, all of this is the word of God, collectively it reveals the heart and character of God and the kingdom of God. So we want to understand in context. And then secondly, we want to understand every verse in light of the other verses of the Bible that speak to this same theme. Second major part of interpretation. And then the third part is we want to apply it. Some things just won't fully make sense until we put it into practice or we seek to put it into practice. Sometimes we'll discover that we've misunderstood a verse. And that's that's true probably for some of us with this passage. When we try and apply what we've been told and you realize, wait a minute. Something's not working here. The gears don't seem to be moving in the same direction. I've been told it means this, but then when I try and apply it, apply it in my life, things don't seem to be lining up just right. And only as we've applied it do we begin to realize there's a rub. There's, maybe I've misunderstood something here because what I've been told doesn't seem to fit into how life's actually working out. And so maybe we need to go back and reexamine this thing in context. So let's begin with just that. What's happening in context here? All this wonderful promise about, I want to prosper you. I don't want you to to be harmed. I'm not going to harm you. What's the context? Who's talking? Well, okay, this is not a trick question. Who's talking? Well, it's the Lord talking, but it's Jeremiah writing. Let's back up and put it in context. Jeremiah twenty nine one says this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people that King Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's nice when you get a little lead in like that, isn't it? I mean, now we have just set the whole stage. And if you're not real familiar with this part of the history of the Bible, let me just remind you, Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel. We just, several months ago, went through the book of Daniel. If you were here then, you'll remember Daniel lived during that that awful period in history for the Jewish people when the judgment of God fell so severely against Israel. They had again and again strayed into rebellion and particularly idolatry, and God had corrected them over and over and warned them again and again. And they finally got to the place that God said, enough, we are going to break this once and for all. And by the way, he succeeded in that. When he finally sent them into exile after centuries of being just up and down on the roller coaster of obeying God, going back into idolatry, obeying God back into idolatry. When he sent them into exile for 70 years, he broke it. He finally got that out of them. But in order to get there... What he had to do was bring King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in to invade the land, and finally, the last of the Holy Land is conquered, Jerusalem falls, and the people of God, are the vast majority, like three-quarters of the nation, are carried away as exiles to, to live now in a foreign land. And so think the story of Daniel and all that they went through there, except Jeremiah, who is a contemporary of Daniel, doesn't get carried away. He's not treated like the royalty and and the wise people of the land who are going to serve Nebuchadnezzar. He's left uh, as those few impoverished ones who are just left in a desolate land now where the, the city's walls have been destroyed and houses have been burned, and they're just going to live in abject poverty now. And so Jeremiah, still in the homeland, is writing to the majority of the population, first of all, to the elders and the priests, but then also to just the people in general who have been carried away to a foreign land. We've lost contact, but I have, as a prophet of God, Jeremiah says, I have a word from the Lord for you who are way off in what is today Iraq and Iran. And, you know, think in ancient times, that just feels like the other side of the world from Israel. And so now I have a word from the Lord for you who are there. Now, context suddenly is already beginning to change how we see this passage. These are not whoo. These are wonderful times. I can't wait till Jesus sends us to Disney and on our next vacation. No, dark grim, desperate times for the people of God. And this is very, very early on after they've been carried away. They've been deported. So, I mean, there's basically two situations for the people of God. Either you're the poorest of the poor. You're still at home, thankfully, but home has been destroyed. And you are just completely um, open to to bandits and other countries to come in and invade you. You're just completely vulnerable. Or you've been carried away and you're basically a servant of a bunch of pagans pretty unhappy situation for either one and that is what God is speaking into through Jeremiah. Now here's the the rub where it really begins for us. When we read this passage and you read the whole of Jeremiah 29, the first thing that you have to come to terms with is this simple fact. The Bible contains over 7,000 promises. That's a lot of promises. And it's wonderful that there are so many promises that are for us, but you need to understand this. There are two kinds of promises in Scripture. There are specific promises, and there are general promises. They're both good, but we like one of those much better than the other. We like general promises. I certainly do. Why? Because I get to claim those. General promises are for all of God's children. When you read a general promise from God, it is for you if you belong to God. And we want to hold on to those and believe those and rehearse those. But there's a whole other category. A bunch of those promises are specific promises from God to specific people. And we do not get to hijack those promises and make ourselves the focus of those. And we want to. We just want to. And so many of us have grown up in an environment that is so us-centered that we'll just turn any verse of the Bible that says you. I want to prosper you. I don't want to harm you. That we immediately are so self-centered that we go, oh, that's a wonderful promise from God to me. No, it's not. He ain't talking to you. He's not. And I know there's a part of us that's going, yes, he is. I know in my heart he is. I felt it. I read it in my devotion this week. I got a little plaque. He's talking to me. He's not. I'm sorry. He's not. He is talking to the elders, the priests, and the exiles, and he's talking to them 2,600 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that this is irrelevant for us today. If you'll hang with me, there's plenty of relevance for us today, but you do not get to be you in every verse of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 12, one of the two hinge points of the Old Testament, all of of the Old Testament, by the way, hinges on Genesis 12 and Jeremiah 31. Those are the two great turning points of the Old Testament. Genesis 12, God... Who has just been dealing with humanity in general, picks out one man and one family, Abram from Ur of the Chaldees, and he says to, to him, all of these gigantic promises, I am going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sands on the seashore. I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to bless all the peoples of the earth through you and your descendants. Would you agree those are gigantic promises? Those are a bunch of you promises. I'm going to do these things through you. Promises from God. Guess what? You are not Abram. You are not Abram. Neither am I. I don't get to say, I read it in Genesis 12. I'm going to have descendants like the sands of the seashore and the stars of the sky. Praise God, that one was not for me. I don't want them. You don't just get to hijack any promise from God and go, I'm the you. He's talking to me. There are a bunch of promises that were to specific people. Jeremiah 29.11 is one of those promises. Now, hang on. Don't give up on this. It doesn't mean we abandon it. You have to understand it in context. Now that begs the question, does it do really any harm if I just make it about me? If I just grab it and say, but it's so good, preacher. It's just such a good batch of promises. Prosperity, protection, good things. What's wrong with making that about me? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. If that's what I do, if I make it all for me and about me, when I try and live my life in light of that, I've got real problems when hardship comes my way. And it's going to come because life's hard. It is just really, really hard. I look and see familiar faces we hadn't seen in a long time. Some of our church family that have been deployed on the other side of the world. We're so grateful for your service and for the time that you've spent away. But relatively newlyweds who have both are in the service, Amanda and Drew, who have been in different countries in service of our country. I'm putting you on the spot. You don't have to answer. But how much did that feel like blessing and prosperity to be in war zones away from each other? Those are hard seasons, aren't they? Those are seasons you want to be somewhere else. You want to be living under different circumstances. Everybody in your own way can relate to situations like that. That you're in a season, it doesn't feel like blessings and prosperity. War zones feel more like hell than heaven, don't they? And everybody goes through your own war zone. There are seasons that are like that. And if you hold on to a promise that gets misapplied, well, God's plan is always to prosper me, God's plan is always to bless me, it's always to do good things. What's wrong that we're in this season? Because sometimes those seasons will stretch on for months or for years where it is hard. It is misery by the acre. And when we go through those seasons, if we've been sort of brainwashed to think, oh, it's just supposed to be flowers and sunshine all the time because this is what God does for his children that he loves, then we've got a real crisis of belief. Because either the word of God isn't true or God isn't faithful or there's something wrong with us so that God doesn't love us and bless us the way that he's supposed to. And then we get to this great crisis where we're tempted to go, well, it doesn't work or God isn't good. Or maybe it was all just a lie and I can't trust that there even is a God. And people will walk away from the faith. And it happens all the time. And the root of it is that we've taken the truth and we've twisted it. We've twisted it into something that isn't still the truth anymore. So it really is a big deal that we understand the truth of the Word of God. And getting it in context is a major part of that. Otherwise, we're apt to make God into a big cosmic Coke machine. And tragically, there are plenty of people that are teaching us to do that. You go to God and you give Him your money. And you find the right button to push. Oh, Jeremiah 29, 11. That's the button that I want to push. Prosperity, protection, and blessing. Here's my money, God. I push the button. But what happens when God didn't give me what I want? Everything about that picture is wrong. Because it makes God our servant. It makes the narrative about us. And God exists to serve us. And I want to tell you, that isn't the truth. God doesn't live to serve us. The narrative is not about us. God is the center of the narrative. Everything in history is about God. And we live for Him. And so we need to reframe this whole picture so that we understand the truth. Now, again... A part of understanding context, it would help us if we could back up, and I'm not going to take the time to read it this morning, but if you were to back up and read Jeremiah 28, you'll appreciate the context even more. I'll just summarize for you, and and you may want to go home and read it for yourself because it's really interesting reading. Consider the setting that I just gave you for what Jeremiah is writing into. And I will tell you, the thing that happens in Jeremiah 28 that is so relevant for us today is another prophet arises his name is hananiah and he has a different word for the people it's so different from jeremiah's word now quite honestly jeremiah would not be a popular guy today i mean he's known as the weeping prophet he's just not a happy fun loving guy that you just go i just feel so much better when i'm around jeremiah i mean he he was a prophet during grim times and so a lot of what god had him deliver was not just happy sunshine messages And as an expression of that, the Lord had him put on a wooden yoke, like what you would put on an oxen in order to pull a plow. And so instead of a necklace, he wears a yoke as a reminder of this yoke of bondage that God has allowed his people to come under. And they're going to live under for 70 years because of their rebellion and disobedience. Now, God's going to break that yoke. But only after a long season, and so this is what he wears, and when everybody sees Jeremiah was not a popular prophet because it was such a dark season and he's he's got some heavy stuff to deliver. And he's wearing this wooden yoke. Well Hananiah appears on the scene and he says to the people, I've got great news. We all know how dark these times have been. It's been a hard season, but I've got good news for you. It is not going to last. I'm here to tell you that in two years, God is going to bring down Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and all of our family will be returned and Israel will be restored. Within two years, it's going to happen. And he snatched the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and he broke it for everybody to see. God is breaking the yoke. It is good news from God. And you can only imagine that the people are going, woohoo, praise God. That is the message we have been waiting for. Jeremiah, move aside. Mr. Sourpuss, you just take a seat. We will listen to the real prophet. And you know what Jeremiah did? He looked at Hananiah and said, Oh, that it were true. Oh, that your message were the truth and that God's judgment would be relieved within two years. But it won't. For a prophet to be considered a prophet, his words have to come true. This is what Jeremiah said to Hananiah. If a prophet's really a prophet then what he says will come true. And we're all going to find that your words aren't going to come true. And in fact, what we're going to find is you're going to die for being a false prophet. God takes really seriously. When people stand up and they profess to speak for him, and they're not speaking for him, God doesn't like that a little bit. Just fast forward a little deeper into Jeremiah 28. Two months later, Hananiah died. Jeremiah went out and got him a... a, uh, A new yoke made of metal. (laughs) So some false prophet wasn't going to come break this one. He put the yoke back on. It was not a happy message. And then he reiterates his message to the people about what's taking place and why. It's a very different context. Jeremiah 28 is a reminder to us that there will always be false prophets who bring us false good news. Hananiah was that. He was a false prophet, and his message was false good news. I don't know that there's ever been an age in history, in the history of the church, when there have been more false prophets who delivered false good news than the time in which we live in the Western church. It's epidemic. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. You're going to need to put on your seatbelts for the rest of the message, because this is fixing to get bumpy from here. But we live in an age where false good news is the message of the day in the Western Church. When I say the Western Church, you get what I'm talking about. North America, Western Europe, the developed that developed part of the world. The airwaves right now, as I speak, are filled with false good news. And it's centered around passages like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. And and the message sounds so inviting and the the false prophets of this false good news, their message sounds so similar. In fact, it's so easy to recognize. Like at the beginning of every year, the message is all the same. I mean, you would almost think that they're getting it from the, the same supplier. That Somebody's printing the stuff and sending it out to them. 2019 is going to be your year of breakthrough. It's going to be the year of abundance, the year of harvest for you. 2019 is going to be that year. But if you rewind and you listen to their message in 2018, January of 2018, 2018 is going to be your year of abundance, your breakthrough year, your year of harvest. This is going to be the year that God prospers you. He's going to bless your socks off this year. This is the year. And Jeremiah 29:11 is one of those passages. God's going to prosper you this year. It's coming. Get ready for it. Guys have figured out this will draw a crowd better than free beer and pizza will. It will draw people like crazy. And so not only do they preach it at the beginning of the year, but they find a way to preach this message 52 weeks a year. It blows my mind. Sometimes I will tune these guys in to listen to them just to marvel at how any passage of the Bible can come back to this message. God is about to prosper you. God is about to bring major financial breakthrough in your life. He's going to pour out so much on you. You're not going to have room for it all. It's going to be health. It's going to be blessing. It's going to be prosperity. You just need to declare it. You need to step out in faith. You need to write us a check. You need to believe God. It's your breakthrough year. Now, it used to be that the kings of of this message were really easy to pick out because they'd put an uh on the end of about every other word. God has given His word to bless all, all His people. Now, you know, some of you have been around long enough; you know what I'm talking about. You just knew, tune them out, send them to speech therapy class or something. But nah, some of you younger people don't even know what I'm talking about. You you had, you miss that. The, the new generation have cut the ahs off of it. They are smooth as silk, and they have a message that you want to hear, and it is so enticing. It is Hananiah's message. It's good news. It's good news from God for you. And it sounds so inviting. And I'm not here to say, God hates you and he just wants to beat the devil out of you. That's not the message either. But I just want to tell you, there is a false good news message out there that will lull us into a place of believing things that are dangerous for us to believe, that all this time, every season is supposed to be about a season of breakthrough and harvest. And some of you may be saying, Now wait a minute, haven't you said some significant things about a season of blessing that we're in? I have. I've been preaching for over 20 years, and for the first time in my life, last August, God gave a word for one year in Freedom Church. I didn't make this one up. The Lord said that the seventh year in Freedom Church's history, which is August of 2018 to August of 2019, is something that he just divinely appointed that our Sabbath year would be a season of rest, blessing, and favor, and that we would enter into things that we didn't even work for, that we would just see the favor of the Lord at levels that we've never experienced before. And I can tell you, at the church level and at a personal level, it has been an amazing six months. I was actually thinking this week, I'm like, man, I dread August getting here. I love the season that we're in. Jackie and I have looked at each other last week and said, could we just freeze everything right where we are right now? This is good. I wish we could always be in a season like this. God is full. Fulfilling that promise. I love where we are. And and I know that doesn't just mean everybody's problems go away, but it's a sweet season right now. It doesn't mean that God doesn't ever give us good words about breakthroughs and blessings and abundance. But you should recognize as false prophets the people who that's the only message they ever preach. Because life doesn't work that way. And it will lull us into thinking that life's supposed to be something very different from what we actually experience. Just remember, in that scenario, with that false good news, the temptation is to make prosperity, health, and blessing, all of those things collectively, to make them the prize. And the, the great heresy in that is, God is our prize. God himself is our great prize. And when we substitute all of these blessings, I want to prosper. I want the house. I want the car. I mean, it's crazy how far we've taken this theology to turn it into. You name it. You claim it. You fake it till you make it. You you just... You, I mean, seriously. Some of those p- most popular preachers in America, these have become their mantras. Fake it till you make it, baby. Does anybody listen to Creflo Dollar and the trash he's talking? And I'm sorry if that offends you. There's a time and a place when we need to call it what it is. Those are lies. Fake it till you make it. Put on your cubic zirconium and tell everybody that it's a diamond because it's your statement of faith. Fake it till you make it, baby. We are telling believers to lie and acting like that's some great statement of faith. No, it's deception and lying. Shut up. We've got to have the good sense. To reject that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying this to be divisive. But understand, there are times when the people of God have to stand up and say, these are false prophets. And some of the most popular preachers in America have been preaching false good news. And, and don't get me wrong, there will be truth mingled in to what false prophets say. But some of the people who are on TV on a weekly basis are great messengers of this. And they have made the reward the good stuff that we get. Kenneth Copeland is the father of this movement in America. He takes credit for it. He said some good things along the way. But he has been the pioneer of this message. And along the way, he didn't make any bones about the fact he's going to be the first billionaire preacher in the world. And he's three-quarters of the way there, worth over $750 million. Because he is taught that the way that God shows his favor is by financial blessing, health, wealth, and prosperity. And people buy into it, and they send their money to him because they want to share in that lifestyle. And there are lots of guys who have been his disciples. This is false good news. We've made something other than God our great prize and our reward. Where this gets to be a real problem is when we have to take this message to the mother in Syria whose son has been abducted and she'll never see him again. And she's now living out her life in a tent in a refugee camp in a war-torn part of the country. How do we take this message to African parents who just buried their child who died of malaria because they didn't have the tiny little pittance of money that it was taken to buy mosquito nets, who just buried their their child from an illness, from drinking unclean water when any church in America could have easily paid For a well to be dug for them. How do we preach this message of God's prosperity for all the ones that He really loves to people who are living with real suffering that they are not about to escape from? The people who got Jeremiah 29.11 sent to them had at least 68 more years of suffering to deal with. And how do we turn that into, oh, God's going to give you the house, He's going to give you the car, He's going to give you the new cell phone, because that is what God does for the people who really love Him? That message doesn't play in the rest of the world. And some of us are going, wow, I'm glad I showed up for church today. Thanks for that. Now I've got to go home and smash my favorite mug, destroy my favorite plaque on my coffee table, and go burn off my Jeremiah 2911 tattoo. That is not the message. That's not what I want you to do. But we do have to think more broadly than the Western experience. Because anything that we preach, if it will not preach to a part of the world where the average worker makes 2 to $3 a day and they have no hope of being lifted out of poverty. If it will not preach there for them, then we cannot preach it with integrity here. The truth has to be the truth for all people at all times and all places, or it isn't the truth. Otherwise, here's our message to our friends watching and listening online. You realize we have an audience that extends to places like Japan and Australia and the UK. I'm sorry. Those of you watching and listening online, if you don't live in the West or in the United States, today's message isn't for you. Because Jeremiah 29:11, it's an American message. You see, the Western version of Jeremiah 29:11 is God blesses the people that he loves with nice cars with butt warmers in their seats. Because that's what God does to so the people that he really loves. He warms their butts in the winter and he cools them in the summer. We're sorry the message doesn't work for you. Do you realize how absurd that is? God loved me so much, he gave me the best parking lot this week when I was late for work, the greatest parking space in the lot, and he loves me so much that I got to upgrade to the newest version of my iPhone, and it's just that's just how God chose His love for me. For the rest of the world, hate it for you. What a sick, perverted message we bought into if that's what we believe that this is our great reward. Well not only have we misunderstood Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, another big piece of understanding in his scripture is understanding what else the Bible says about that subject. Can I give you just two more verses to chew on in that regard? Let's try on for size second Timothy three twelve. In fact, everyone, everybody say everyone. Yeah. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Put that on a magnet. (laughs) Stick that on your fridge. Woo! Everybody's going to get persecuted if you serve Jesus. How about Philippians one twenty nine? For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Glory to God. Let's make a t-shirt. That is not going to wind up on your coffee table, is it? Not going to be on your fridge. Not going to be on your, your t-shirt. Jeremiah 29.11 is a passage to a specific group of people. Second Timothy 3.12 and Philippians one twenty nine. Those are messages that apply to all the people of God. You know what? If you follow Jesus, there are going to be seasons of blessing. There are going to be seasons of, of favor. There are going to be seasons of smooth sailing, and there are going to be seasons of chaos and conflict, financial need, difficulty. They're all going to be a part of life, and it is inevitable. This is the the whole of life. This is the whole of Scripture. It's not going to all be sunshine, and it's not all going to be stormy days. It's going to be some of both, and God's going to be present in all of those The thing we need to remember is this. The good news. This is what it's all about. It's the good news. The good news is not that Jesus died to save you from all of your trials and troubles. The good news is that Jesus died and rose again to save you from your sins. And that is good news. And I know we don't just get fired up at hearing that because we've been so brainwashed to want more. Can we just confess that to each other? We want more. We've been told that we get more. So much more. That we get the butt warmer. That we get the new phone. That we get the new house. That we get the girl. That we get the whatever. But the good news is simply this. God loved us when we were so completely unlovable. God pursued us when we did not deserve pursuing. We were wrecks. Our lives were a mess. Some of us got saved early enough in life that we can't fully appreciate what train wrecks our lives would be apart from Christ. I mean, even with Christ, we still make so many decisions. We say and do so many things that create so much chaos, that harm people around us so much. If we could ever just see what our lives would be like apart from Christ, we would just not only be toxic within ourselves, we'd be toxic to the people around us. We're so fouled up. We're so messed up. And when we didn't deserve anything good from God, he said, I would go to any length. I would give my very best. I would give the life of my son so that you could live. And Jesus came and He gave His life. And He not only laid down His life in the laying down of His life, He took all our garbage, He took all of our failures, all of our selfishness, all of our greed, all of our our hurt and the venom and the spite in us, and He bore all of that punishment, all of the guilt and shame that should rightfully rest on us. And He said, pour it on me. Pour the whole cup on me. Father, I need to bear all of their stuff so that they can be free from that. Jesus Jesus took all of that as He took the scourgings as He hung for six hours on Calvary bleeding out. He was bearing your sin, your shame, all the guilt that we should have to bear. He was carrying that so that we could truly be free. So that when we go before God, it's not based on how good we've been, so that we can wear the mantle of His perfection, His righteousness, His holiness. So when we go before God, it's not us saying, look God, I tried harder, I've been better this week, better won't cut it. Better will never satisfy a holy God. Sort of good will never get it done. Only the righteousness of Jesus will do. And the good news is that no matter how bad you have been, you as a child of God, you wear the righteousness of Jesus when you go before God. He doesn't judge your failures. He looks at you and sees the perfection of Jesus and says, John, I love you. Lynn, I love you as much as I love Jesus. Erica, I see the righteousness of Jesus in you. I don't see your failures. I see Jesus in you. That is enough. That is the good news. And how dare we twist such good news to make it about us. If we belittle God into some coke machine that should dispense to us what we ask of him. The good news is so much greater. Jeremiah was a messenger of good news in a hard, hard season. In verse 10 of Jeremiah 29, the verse that immediately precedes the great promises of verse 11... He says this, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed from for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then his very next words are, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And the message was just very simple. We've been listening to false good news. We see how that worked out. He's dead. Two years and it's all over? Nope. Seventy years and it'll be done. If we took the time to read all of the verses leading up to verse 11 in Jeremiah 29, what you'd find is the Lord saying through Jeremiah, it'll be all of seventy years. So those of you who got moved, settle in. And you press in, and you pray, and you ask for God's favor where you are, you better pray for God to bless Babylon. And ultimately, we'll find you better pray for the Medes and for the Persians, because your fate's going to be very much tied to theirs, because you're going to live with them for 70 years. God makes wonderful promises to His people with the understanding. It's going to be some hard, hard years ahead. And you get this sense as you read the whole of Jeremiah 29. It's going to be blessing and hardship all mingled together. And there's going to come a season when 70 years are done that it is going to be blessing that is beyond what they could ever create for themselves. And it is. I mean, God's going to, God's going to move on Cyrus, a pagan king, change his heart And we're going to have pagan kings financing the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple. I mean, it's crazy what God's going to do. But here's the really, really hard thing nobody wants to hear this morning is God makes these wonderful promises to people who are not going to live to see on earth how they're fleshed out. Who does he start out saying he's writing to? The elders. They're already elder. (laughs) Well, in 70 years, there's some really good stuff coming. They'll see it from heaven. God's playing the long game. There's going to be 70 years of hardship with blessings mixed in. And then there's going to be a season of just overwhelming blessing. And really that's just a picture of how life is. Some people get to live in a period where they go through an extended season or multiple extended seasons of overwhelming blessing and praise God for it. Don't get me wrong in anything I'm saying today. I hope this is your year of breakthrough. I hope this is your season of abundance. I mean that sincerely. I hope it is. I hope you walk in fruitfulness and joy and intimacy with God and other people. I hope this is that kind of season for you. For some it is and for some it's not. For some you've been in a season that you feel like, is it going to be 70 years? Because it's been a long time. And the truth of the matter is God's faithful in both. God is our great reward in both of those settings, both of those sets of circumstances. So how are we to now read a passage like Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven? Do we just write it off and say, well, it wasn't for us, so set it aside, ignore it. No, not at all. We read it in context and we understand it as it was meant. There are some very specific promises for specific people in a very real set of difficult circumstances. And they needed to know, hey, God hasn't put you out here because he stopped loving you. He stopped caring about you. God is working out his plan. For centuries, he's been trying to make a people out of these This chaos of people who would truly be his family and and the gentle road hasn't been getting that done. And so it's going to take some real hardship to get the family where it needs to be. But in this, God's saying, I want you to understand love drives all of this, even the hard stuff. Do you realize we can say the same thing about life for us today? Do you know why God doesn't just give you just blessing and prosperity and good health all the time? Because faith and character, perseverance, they don't grow in those seasons. Not very much. It takes hardship. It takes seasons when you don't have anything but Jesus to ever learn that Jesus is all you ever need. Maybe I need to say that one again. You have to go through seasons where Jesus is all you've got before you'll ever really be convinced that Jesus is all you ever need. It just takes hardship. You won't grow really strong character in just the easy seasons. And that's why God blesses us with the privilege of going through difficulties. But we can still hold on to promises, just like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. the basic principles of that. Consider what it has said. You know, does God have plans for us? When we look at the whole of Scripture, He sure does. Ephesians one eleven says, God works everything in conformity with the purposes of His will. Romans 8.28 says, God works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. God has a purpose and a plan, and your life is a part of that. Absolutely. Does God have a plan? He does have a plan, and it involves you. Does God like to bless His people? You better know He does. It gives Him great joy to bless us. And to prosper us, and sometimes he prospers us financially. Money's not evil. we're going to talk about that next week. Sometimes he will financially prosper us. Don't, don't be afraid of prosperity, but also don't make it the goal of life. Oftentimes he will prosper us relationally, that we'll experience real joy and intimacy in relationships. That's way better than money, by the way. all kind of miserable, rich people in the world. Happiest people in the world have real intimacy with other people and with God. He'll often prosper people with good health. No amount of money and no relationship can take the place of enjoying good health. God loves to prosper His people. But let's don't twist that into something very small. So when we're facing something like a cancer diagnosis that's so very grim... Do we have promises from God to hold on to? You better know we do. Can can we hold on to the hope that there is a God who loves us and who says, "I, I want good for you? Yes, because we have a God whose name is bigger than cancer. We have a God who is able to heal, and He loves to do it supernaturally. He loves to do it through medicine. He just loves to do it. Doesn't mean we just get to always determine outcomes. But we can trust Him to bring good in in those situations. And we're caught in those situations where we're thinking, you know, after what I did, can God ever use me? You better know he, he can and He will. He does have a plan, and it is for your good. And this verse isn't universal, but it absolutely does have universal truth to it, because there are other passages that speak to these themes. So there's one other thing I want us to do in relation to this verse. And I want us to, to finish reading the thought with a couple of verses that follow it. So here again, Jeremiah 29:11 to 14. You'll see this in your outline. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. Verses 12 through 14 were written to a specific group of people, but they contain general promises that apply to all of us because there are multiple other passages that tell us the same thing for all the people of God. You know what the message is in, in Jeremiah 29, 11? There's a hard season ahead. And it's not because God has done with you or has given up on you. God has a good plan. And He is working that out even through a really long, hard season. But you don't lose sight of this. You will seek me. And you will find me when you pray to me and you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be with you. I will be with you in the hard times. I will be with you in the good times. But regardless of your circumstances, you can bank on this. You seek me with all of your heart, and you will find me, and I will be your great reward. And that's the message that's still true today. Jeremiah 29.11 hasn't lost anything. It's actually got a much broader meaning than what we maybe walked in the door thinking that it had. Because Jeremiah 29.11, in its true context... While it was a specific message to a specific people, the the core truth behind that bigger passage is really a message that can apply to everyone. Life is going to have some hard times because life is hard and there is an enemy who hates us and opposes us and life is going to be hard but you press in and seek the Lord in good times and in bad. You seek Him and you'll find Him. I started out sharing with you about my friend Mehmet he wanted so badly to know the truth that was one of the most moving things about that whole encounter was I can remember a couple of weeks into that sitting with him as we were really exploring the Jesus that's revealed in the gospels and it was such an intriguing conversation because Mehmet was really really seeking he really wanted to know God but he'd been told all of his life that Allah is God, and He's a far-off, distant, angry God. Just the whole message of Islam. And he said, the, you know, the place where our two messages diverge is at Abraham, His his kids, Isaac and Ishmael. And he said, everything that you believe you believe God reckoned, God worked out all of those promises that we just, I just referenced a while ago from Genesis 12, that he gave all of that through Isaac, that he was the child of promise. But we, he's speaking for the Muslims, we believe that Ishmael was the child of promise and that that God has been working out his plan through the descendants of Ishmael and the Muslim Arabic people. And, and I remember him just being so completely at a loss. And he said, how will I ever come to know which of these two is the true God? And I remember him saying with such deep conviction, I know one of these two messages is the truth. But how could I ever decide which one is true? You know what I shared with him? I shared with him the, the verses that immediately follow Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, twelve, thirteen, 12, 13, and 14. You pray to me. And you seek me, and you'll find me. I said, he is so capable. The God who made you, the God who has watched over you, he wants you to know him. And if you seek him, he'll make himself known to you. And I can't tell you how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. Now, this is before Jeremiah twenty nine eleven has shown up in his house. You just seek him. I can't tell you what he's going to do. I know this. He cares about you. He cares about what you're going through. And he'll make himself known. Can you begin to appreciate my joy when he walks in the next week going, Do you know what this is? Do you think this could be God? Yes, sir, I do. A week after that, he was uh, going down to the, or several days after that, he was going down to the, actually, to tell you the whole of it, he was going into town to McSherry's to work out some of his frustrations at the bar. He wasn't going to be a good Muslim or a good Christian that day. He was, going to, he was just going to do what folks do when they're frustrated and confused. And he said as he was on his way to McSherry's, something in him told him, do not go there. Just go to the bay and pull out the Bible that I'd given him and start reading John. And he said, I did. And I can't explain it. But as I read those verses, I just knew. I don't know how I knew. But I just knew it was like suddenly everything was clear that Jesus is truly God. That the promise of God that's revealed in your Bible, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Jesus, that that's the truth. Somehow he just told me, I just know God showed me that this is the true God, that it is Jesus. And I asked Jesus to come into my life. I asked him to forgive me and to save me. And I'm telling you, it's like I'm sitting with a different person at this point. Only days after we had that conversation, Mehmet had to leave the country. His visa had run out. He told me when we were talking, he said, I'm so worried and so troubled. If I Before that revelation had come for him, he said, I'm, I'm so afraid. If Christianity is right, if that's the true God, what will happen if I come become a Christian? Because if I ever try and go home to Turkey, you can't imagine what that would be like. But he said, we're still... If word ever gets back to Turkey, to the village where my family lives, you have no idea what they'll do to my family when the villagers find out that their son has converted to Christianity. Terrible things will happen to my parents. How, how can I do this? Mehmet accepted Christ and within days had to leave, and he went to Canada. He was able to get a visa to Canada to work there for a season. And, um, I mean, the best we could do is just give a few days of instruction on what you do next. You've got to find a church. you got to plug in. Here are the steps that you take. And he was so afraid to begin with. What if word gets out? What if the Muslims find out about me? And it was so fun over the next year to watch his emails as they the tone of them began to change. He found a church in Canada. He got baptized. He plugged into the church and began to grow in his faith. And before you knew it, the emails that he was sending to me, the list of the... Other people that he was sending it to just got longer and longer would fill my computer screen. And the names on there were names that I could not begin to pronounce because they were Muslim friends and family that he was professing his faith to and telling about the difference that Jesus had made in his life. It was not a smooth road ahead for him. He had to leave the country. He had to face great hardship. He had to face this difficult reality. But the rest of the story was true for Mehmet. It's not a message that it's going to be easy. It's not a message that it's all going to be sunshine. It's not a message of cell phones and big houses and butt warmers. But it is a message that if you seek me, you'll find me. And whatever you face, I will be with you and I will be your great reward. And Mehmet now knows and serves that God. And that promise is still true for us. If you seek him, you will find him. And whatever you face... He will be with you. He will never leave you. And I have a feeling that for some of us, that message rings so much more true than a message of constant prosperity and stuff as our great reward. Isn't it good to know that we serve a God who is faithful, who never leaves us, and who promises, If you'll just seek me wholeheartedly, I will always be found because I love you and I've always been with you. And I always will be. That's good news. Would you join me as we go to the Lord together in prayer? Father, we thank you so much for the good news of your great love for us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the price that you paid so that we could know forgiveness. Thank you that you are not a far-off, angry God. Thank you that you are not a distant God, that you are a God who pursues us, that you're a God who wants to be found by us. Thank you for the ways that you do provide for us. You bless us beyond what we deserve. Maybe you've been in a season that has been more difficulty than blessing. Maybe it's been a season where it's felt like God was far off and maybe you felt like God wasn't attentive to your prayers because things didn't get easier. I hate it if that's where you have been. But I do want to remind you today that God loves you, God cares, and He wants to be with you through that. I can't promise you the outcome, but I can promise you if you seek the Lord wholeheartedly, you will find Him. Maybe you're in a season of blessing today wasn't designed to make you worry that tomorrow the hardship's coming but why don't you just take a moment right now to just thank God for the blessings around you the people and the circumstances that are a reflection of God being a good father who gives good gifts to his kids and maybe just maybe you are at a similar place to where Mehmet was 10 years ago that you have been wrestling with all of this and not yet stepped across the line wanting to know what's real considering whether or not you could trust Christ why don't you let today be the day that you just in simple faith step across the line by just calling out to Jesus inviting Him into your life and asking Him to forgive your sins if that's what you want to do just from your heart would you pray a simple prayer with me that says Jesus I choose to believe in you I believe the message you died in my place I believe the message that you love me. And I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to forgive my sins. To make me new. The best I know how I'm giving you control of my life. I promise you, if that's your prayer, he answered that forgiving sins giving you a clean slate and a fresh start lord i pray that you'd seal this moment by your holy spirit that you give a sense of rebirth and new beginnings i pray that you'd speak into our circumstances today that you make yourself known we welcome your work and your voice among us we pray this in jesus name amen thanks for taking time to join us for freedom online today I sure hope that uh, what you've experienced and heard has been helpful and relevant for your life. And I just want to tell you that if anything that you heard today really struck a nerve with you and you just feel like, man, I'd love to talk to somebody further about that, there are folks who would love to talk with you. I'd love the chance to talk with you. and There are a variety of ways that you can get in contact with us. On our website, you'll find links uh, to be able to email me or any member of our leadership team. We'd love to hear from you, or you'll see a number at the bottom of your screen that you can call to get uh, through directly to us. We'd love to talk with you further. Uh, Anytime that you're in our area, we'd sure love the chance to get to meet you personally. We'd love to have you come and worship with us at Freedom Church. Thanks again so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you soon. Take care and have a great day.